Hello and welcome to the Negative Space Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Sippy. As a reminder, all of these episodes are recorded live in front of an actual audience. So if you want to join and bring your questions to the panel, you can check out the Negative Space website for a full schedule and registration as well. Also, the, the video recording is on YouTube, so you can watch that as well. Now then, on to the show. Today's going to be a great chat. We're, gonna, we're talking with Brent Fisher and CJ Hudson uh, about their creative journeys and about managing a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, so let's meet our guests. Our first guest, Brent Fisher, is a published comic book writer and editor. Their passion lies in using storytelling as a vehicle of empathy to bring disparate groups closer together. Their writing can be found in many comic anthologies, including Project Big Hype, Femme Fatale, Off Into the Sunset, Amongst the Stars, From the Static, Containment Breach, Volume 3, and The Color of Always, an LGBTQIA plus love anthology successfully funded on Kickstarter. Uh, the Color of Always will be published in 2023 under the Wave Blue World label. Their most recent work, The Unseen, was created in collaboration with artist Rachel Disler and is part of Dandy Presents Penny Dreadfuls, published in fall of 2022 under the Sur Source Point Press label. Hello, Brent. Thanks for being here. Hello. <laughs> and our second guest, CJ Hudson, is the co-founder of Warn Everyone Comics, a creative studio focused on developing original content. His published works include Interstellar Dust for the Offworld Sci-Fi Double Feature from Antarctic Press and Intergalactic Academy from Ad Astra Media. Hello, CJ. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And I'll also add before we get started, if you have any questions for our panelists throughout the show, go ahead and drop it. Uh, the questions in the Q&A uh, window. If they're relevant to the current conversation, I'll get to them right away. If not, I'll save them for the end. Um, but let's go ahead and get started. So. <laughs> Before we get into crowdfunding, all that stuff, I want to get to know you as creators as well. So uh, I'm going to ask you both this question, uh, basically your creative origin story. I want to know what drove you into storytelling in the first place. So Brent, let's start with you. Uh, long story short, her. Uh, uh, I, Carol Collector is my online handle. And I started with uh, com comics when I was growing up. And uh, my I inherited a lot of my mother's comics and classics illustrated and whatnot. And there was a lot of Ms. Marvels thrown in there and other Bronze Age elements. And and I just sort of kind of became captivated with the idea of a strong female lead very early on. And I went to college, ended up majoring in journalism, didn't even think about uh, the fact that connecting the dots as they kind of fell out of things that I used to enjoy doing as a, you know, as a teen when I was in college. And, and I fell back in when Carol became Captain Marvel. And I started collecting things in earnest because I noticed there was a lot of people who were like, oh, this is so cool. But no one was actually like, you know, collecting it as much as, you know, just a handful of us are a diehard Carol Core starting to get the nascent Carol Core stuff. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute. I enjoy writing. I enjoy reading comics. Maybe I should give this a whirl. And uh, during the uh, COVID epidemic, uh, Gail Simone did a comic school. And I'm actually a graduate of that. And that's when I actually weaponized <laughs> effectively both my desire and hopefully my ability to a degree and did a, a story with Fellhound of Commander Rao and, and We Love You fame. Uh, Fell is single-handedly responsible for basically saying, hey, you don't suck. You want to do a story for Project Big Hype? And I owe a lot to Doug for that, too. That was my first shot at anything. And uh, I got in and then I sort of kept on doing it. And then I realized that I wanted to do my own anthology uh and then that's where color of always came in because it's actually based on a poem 
and we could take it from there but but my 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 evil villain origin story is essentially gail simone which i'm sure she would love hearing that in playback in microcosm <laughs> i love it and there, there's some stuff i want to get back to but i want to hear cj your your mm-hmm. sort of creative origin story too yeah, you know, very similar. Started reading comics at a young age. Still remember my first one, Wolverine issue seventy one, where he's yeah. fighting Sauron on the cover. I still have it. It's in you know tatters, uh, and I was just kind of blown away by the storytelling. Um, I I wasn't a great reader as a kid. I kind of struggled oh, with that. And me too. Yeah, comics. You should compare notes open. up to that, but keep going. Yeah, but that's really great yeah. to hear. That. Yeah, comics just kind of opened that door for me to uh, to read and to really like storytelling. And then since then, I've grown to love novels and everything. But that was what I needed that push to really get me into uh, reading. And I think the Maximum Carnage story arc was happening around that time too. So I was just devouring a lot of like really good '90s nonsense and like really good like comics that I really liked at the time and honestly still remember fondly and still have a lot of those arcs on my shelves. I'm kind of like the every fan I call myself. I'm reading stuff like, you know, Commander Rao and rereading old Spawn comics. Like I, I love like, as long as it's told well, like I can really get into a lot of different things. And that kind of kind of made me want to start creating comics. I was like, you know, I love this. I, one of my majors was English, um, but I was kind of a realist enough to be like, I don't know if I'm any good. Like, I just, I don't want to go all in. Like, so I'll kind of dip my toe in and see how I do. And it was, it was a little challenging. Um, Sent out a number of pitches for Interstellar Dust and didn't really go anywhere, but ultimately got picked up and kind of the rest is history. And I've just been kind of slowly working my way in it, releasing some creator-owned stuff, picked up a couple of uh, work-for-hire gigs and just kind of working through it. And like I said before we started, I don't know if I'm in this for a long time or a good time, but I'm just having fun figuring it all out. Oh, yeah. Similar vibes. Yeah. And that's interesting, Brent. Same kind of origin well, story for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I hated reading until the fifth grade. I can tell you exactly when it was Star Trek pulp novels on top of like the comic books were one thing, classics illustrated and all that was great, but I didn't start reading, reading like, you know, thick booty books until Star Trek pulp novels. I found them and it was, and I started just tearing into books all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, same. It was it was interesting. <laughs> and I just realized that, oh, I like fantasy sci-fi novels. Like I can get into that. And then I I've branched out into other things since then, but those are still mainstays for me. Like that's a lot of what I read is just like a lot of ridiculous concepts because I find real life to be mundane in a lot of different ways. So I'm like, what if you throw some aliens in the mix or like like a chick with a big sword or something? <laughs> <laughs> You all, my, my follow-up question to that is usually why comics, but you both answered that so conclusively already, I don't even need to ask because it was always, sounds like it was always going to be comics for both of you. Well, I think we're visual writers, right, CJ? I mean, that's kind of where, the, where it metastasizes out of the realm of pulp and more into the sort of hybrid model of working with a collaborator and envisioning something physically into the world from your imagination. And I really am captivated by that. Yeah, same. And, you know, I... I tried writing a novel at one point. I had an idea and then I, I really struggled with it. I was like, you know, 
part of it was timing too, because I, I got to pay bills and I got to work. And for me, I was like, you know, it's so much easier for me to write a script for some reason. I just don't know that I'm, I'm a prose writer that I, I, I am a novelist. I feel like I, I can write a script. I know how to do it. And the visual aspect of it, as Brent described, getting that art back for me is just like a high for some reason. It's like, I can describe oh, it yeah. word, and then getting it back is like a feeling like nothing else. And then the other can... feeling of seeing it on the shelves later, but as you get that in your inbox, you're just like, wow. And I wasn't really getting that when I was trying to write the story as a novel, I wasn't yeah. really hitting that high. And it was kind of nice to get feedback too, from collaborators that were working on projects with me, editors, uh, letterer, the artist saying, oh, wow, I'm having a lot of fun with this. Because that's the initial feedback for me is like, do they yeah. like working with me? Do they think this is any good? Because I think we forget that some people could say no, like they don't have to work with you. There are like well, some things yeah. that are like bad enough to where they're like, no, nah, I'm not going to do this. Sorry. So that's I, and, the feedback. Can we swear on here? I was oh, absolutely. Sure. Please. Okay. So what I love, <laughs> I know, I know some people are like, you know, there's some people are like, that getting it to an artist and all you have this, you have to throw all of your ego out the door a little bit too, because the collaboration part, I love it. Like, I, I, I guess I give an artist my script and I say, fuck my shit up because I, I, I want to see what this, my creative lens conjured this, your creative lens changes it and molds it and you, and you see it come to life. It's almost like you're giving birth to something in, as a, as a team. And then the letters and the colorists, that's like the heartbeat in the lungs. I mean, you see, if you see a letter, just like go to town on a book and, and they just feel, Oh my God, it's, it's almost transcendent to see lettering just jive with a story and seeing all that, that that's addictive too. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and the then, whole process. It's just crazy that feeling that you get through the creative process. If you like creating comics, and I think everybody can kind of attest to that as, you know, in, in, even with like a little anthology, even like a little story. We were talking before you jumped on, right? We were talking about uh, Noelle's um, artistic partner, uh, Siegfried in Amongst the Stars. And I was like, just captivated by his art when it came in, because I had no idea who he was. I didn't follow him. And I was like, I, I can only imagine what he felt as the writer, as he's seeing this stuff come to life, his like idea. Um, it's just, it was really interesting just from the curator's standpoint, as everything was coming in, <laughs> I died. It's That's great. <laughs> I'm curious to hear from both of you, because, you know, you make it sound so organic. Like you saw comics, you loved them, you wrote them. I, was the, What was like? You know, were you pretty much self-taught? I know, Brent, you mentioned you did the Gail Simone, like that class. Like what sort of stuff were you doing to help educate well, your growth in this medium? It's like a hit. It's like a secret that's not a secret. I think Gail even said it. Like all I needed to do, I've been wanting to write for film or comics for forever. But, you know, comic scripts, unless you like, I don't know why, what kept me from searching comic scripts on Google or whatever. But I know I'm not alone. Everyone was just like, oh, that's what a comic script looks like. That's what you have to do. That's how you make the make the spaghetti. And then once you have that, it was not a because it was, it was mechanical for me with Gail. Gail just gave me the tools that I needed. And because it, it was just sort of this open secret. So I would say my, I was inspired by, I think she took us to a script repository. And I was inspired by Matt Fraction and like Mark Wade's style 
of, of and it's I'm, I'm like a hybrid of that and then i inject my own little bit into it i and i think cj were you the one that made that twitter post today about like uh, doing an inventory of how you write scripts yeah i was really interested in what people what yeah. their format was and there's hybrid and yours was really interesting brett like you you should talk about that a little bit like it's like a not you like you write yeah. like a I, I do what a lot of people say you shouldn't do uh, you shouldn't write for the artist. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't write, put all, pour all of this juice into the panel descriptions because, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be reinterpreted anyway. No one's going to see it, but the creative team, but, uh, but I word, I, I can't tie, I can barely tie my shoes and I couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I'm good with words. And, and it's the only thing I'm good at. And so it's not, it's no shirt off my back to just lean into the script. So my panel descriptions are like, you know, paragraphs you know, meaty. of meaty and, and, and they're, 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 they're rich. It's a rich tapestry and they could use whatever they want. I'm not saying follow my rules of the letter, but I write a beefy script and I was talking to Eric Palicki about it. And Eric felt, you know, is one thing I like about your scripts, Brent, is that you don't pull your punches in terms of like, you're like the anti-Marvel method. And, and, and I, and I, and I was like, that's, that, that's just who I am. But yeah, I know it's a rarity and you probably shouldn't do it as much. You're putting too much energy into what, may get cut away but seeing an artist's eyes light up and tell me i really had fun reading that that's equally as rewarding to me as that as audiences eventually seeing it mm -hmm. and then i want to transition a little bit into sort of the comics community and because you're both very involved in the comics community and sort of get a feel for how you found your way because i feel like you know i come from more of the traditional publishing side and and I've only been more into the comic side lately and just feels so much more community based than what it is in the traditional side. So I'm curious, you know, Brent, I saw in your bio, you, you're part of the Phoenix comic collective, uh, CJ, you found, or you co-founded Warren everyone comics. So I want to get a sense of what drove you to get involved with these, what, and what sort of, the, what's this community doing for you as a creator? So CJ, let's start with you. Yeah. So, I mean, Warn everyone. It's kind of like my own imprint, basically. So I, I, I put my logo on the inside cover of like it's kind of branding more than anything, and I use it as kind of marketing for my um, work for hire contracts. So I, I had a creative partner, and we founded it together. He's since left, but I decided just to keep the branding mm. associated with it because it kind of helped me to get. Um, more media uh, work I found, and I I kind of liked the name. It, it it we took it from Grant Morrison's uh, Batman run when Batman's like waking up from his uh, his like uh, uh, like deep sleep uh, when he was kidnapped, and he wakes up and he's like warn everyone. And so we were like, that's kind of a fun name for comics, warn everyone comics. So yeah, so less of like a collective, but I kind of took that brand and just kind of ran with it. I don't really post under that, but I do use it for all my published work as kind of like, oh, this is a Warren Everyone comic. This is like from CJ and and his friends, basically. But Brent, like Phoenix Comics Club, that's like a true collective, right? And what's yeah. interesting is I always say this in the interviews, like half of those guys are in amongst the stars. Like, and I didn't realize that until after the fact, which I thought was so funny, but also shows the level of talent in that uh, group of people, like obviously we invent, we invited Brent, but then after the fact, I was like, oh, Phoenix Comic Collective, I'm going through the list. I'm like, holy shit, like half of these guys are in this, the other half submitted, and most of them made it to like the final round. <laughs> so it's no wonder like that they're all like in this very talented uh, collective group, so. 
Yeah. So Brent, yeah. let's hand it off to you. If you want to tell us about the collective and what its function is and what it does for you. Well, I, I'm just a junior, I'm a junior member, really. I don't, I mean, I, but uh, <laughs> I, I just signed out along with everybody else, but uh, it's more like a club. I think at this point, uh, it's a bunch of indie comic creators that wanted to get together and pump each other's stuff up. I mean, that's most of the time we're just, you know, helping cross promote each other's Kickstarters and whatnot. Um, it's just good people, good people who want to tell stories. And I, and, and honestly, it's become, you know, sort of a loose in our, uh, anarchist like everyone wants to hang out and do stuff but it, there's no formal like uh, grouping to we have a discord server and we uh, there's like a handful of us that are more active than others but they were going to disband a little bit i think talking about are we are we making enough of an impact for each other and i was i'm along, along with a few other like no nah, keep it keep it it's fun and it's great to have like a group of people that understand where you're coming from uh the other thing that i do of course is extra pages press which is the label that Michelle Abinader and I are on that was the the kind of the brand arm of what made the color of always and our other Kickstarter sharp wit in the company of women. And I, I want to talk about Michelle when we get to the anthology stuff, but, but Michelle and I are co-creators and co-directors in that label that, and we basically uh, advocate the representation of underrepresented voices, particularly in storytelling, which includes comics uh, and emphasizes comics. We want people who, uh, may you know it's february's over so we made our quota for blank or it's not pride anymore we made our quota for blank and and uh and we want to say no we're going to flip the script you have to be lgbt identifying you know you have to be somebody who we feel needs to have their voice heard more often in both of this, both in terms of who you are and what you're trying to say mm -hmm. so let's let's talk about the anthology um want to make sure we save time to cover everything. So we're going to start with Amongst the Stars. We're going to talk about crowdfunding in general. Um, but just to get started, uh, Amongst the Stars the anthology from Band of Bards. So first off, I just want to hear from both of you what your involvement was in this project um, and sort of what role you played in it. So Brent, do you want to start with you? Bellhound messaged me when I was driving home from breakfast saying, hey, I got into this anthology. Do you want to be my writer? And I said, sure. And then I thought for five minutes and then wrote the script and, and sent it back from my phone. <laughs> and uh, I, I was so, I mean, gosh, I I got to tell you, I can't think of a better way. I, I, first off, Color of Always is a love anthology. I don't, you know, we'll get, we can get into the particular, but I'm love everything. Like if it's a love, if love is one of the parameters, I'm in. And then on top of it, it's science fiction. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I I was scrambling. I mean, I I had ideas wasn't out of my brain, and and from that point forward, um, I I I was one hundred percent behind the project, and then and then recently I was able I might be able to help with some editorial stuff if we get to that stage, you know, and help in you know facilitate some of the fulfillment and production stuff. But other than that, though, I'm just happy to be here, man. DJ, what about you? Yeah, so. Uh, Elise Russell and I were just kind of messaging back and forth about working on a project together. She loves anthologies and said, you know, why don't we do one and let's do an open call for submissions. Um, and then we just kind of came up with the idea. I think I, she, she named it um, right after I came up with the hybrid the and romance. And yeah, it's great. And at romance and sci-fi because i thought you know sci-fi is great everybody loves sci-fi but there's no romance comics hardly like there's some but we were like let's just do this it sounds really fun just to do this hybrid approach and then we figured that we needed to invite um at least 
one set of contributors to show people that we were serious, that we were building it around somebody. So we invited um, Fellhound and Brent and the rest is kind of history. And we did 140 open submissions and we uh, whittled that down through uh, various uh, semifinalists and finalists down to 14 total. And that was hard. That was a lot of back. So hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And there was a lot of talent on this one. I'm not just saying that to be nice. There truly was. If it was really shitty and we only could come up with 14 easily, I'd say that. I try to be really honest. But it there's a lot of talent out there. And I was really impressed with how people uh, pitched, the artists that they brought along with them. And there was a number of others that we could have included, honestly, and made this 150 pages, 200 pages. But you have to be somewhat thoughtful in terms of cost and production and some stories were somewhat similar that's just going to happen um and so it was more a matter of how do they complement each other the different art styles um but it was it was really cool to run through that it was a lot of work and challenging to tell people that they didn't get in at least at all that because i didn't want to so <laughs> she could send out the rejections yeah. you guys did a phenomenal job getting that oh. to where it is and i was so happy to see bards pick it up but yeah you did yeah great. yeah thank you and then band of bar we realized once we got it all done we're like we've never done a kickstarter together we should pitch this to a publisher so well band of bards was an easy choice um their message um about diversity and inclusion is really important to us and it seemed like it seemed like a bard's comic there was not a couple other publishers that we were tossing around but we wanted to go to them first and ultimately they picked it up and they did a lot of work to kind of get the production uh going for the kickstarter so really appreciate uh, the work they've done and i think it just shows in the the preview pages that we put up there it's a lot of really good looking stuff um and not just the art, but the the writers. Like those stories are really, really good. Um, it's from people that really know how to create a story and they really know how to pitch. Like I, Doug Wood is somebody who I always like to say, if anybody wants to know how to pitch a comic, like they should just see Doug's pitches because Doug pitched like the best thing. It was so concise and it was yeah. just perfect. I was like, wow, this is a good pitch. Unfortunately, he's left comics i like to say for now due to health reasons i hope i'm hopeful he'll come back but it's really important to me that we have his what could be his last story right now i don't think people, enough people appreciate how many ships that man launched like yeah i mean i'm 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 in i mean I'm, I, I'm i owe a lot of people the fact that i'm here and doug's one of them you know so yeah. everything i do going forward is going to be because i got into project big hype yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he he put a lot of work into the community and I I'm hopeful that he'll come back and if not this work of his is phenomenal and it's the artwork from Federica and um Marty is on colors is just it, it's awesome. So, yeah, I'm couldn't be happier. We need some support though we are running up against a deadline and we seem to be getting a decent amount of traction today which is nice but we're still well off our goal and i don't know that it's i i think it's a great looking comic and people like it i truly think there's a number of factors that timing of the year economic factors that are happening um i twitter i think is partially to blame you know you 
damn it, Twitter. But <laughs> I think there's a number of things that have kind of gone against us to where if this was two years ago, even we might be past goal right now. But I think it just shows it's a little bit of a struggle because even something is very good as and thoughtful as Herology, even though they had a massive surge at the end and hit goal, they didn't really hit that $10,000 until their last week that they really needed. Um, and that, if it was a couple of years ago, I think would have just, boom, hit yeah. it right away. We're seeing a lot of photo finishes now. That's, that's not a good sign, in my opinion. And it's a crowded market now. I mean, Kickstarter, God bless them, is, I mean, for whatever, I, I know it's controversial, but like, at least they have a reader's division now. Like, they're considered effort to like, to like work with us but the, because of that though i think there's greater awareness of every tom dick and harry and susan who wants to you know have a vision and an idea and a story they want to do it too and they're just as valid as we are and but like that's a clown car and and i wonder if because of the industry because of the economy because of twitter like you said other social media constructs uh there's an issue there's an issue with that and also there's also this kind of like impermeable permeable membrane of a bubble that surrounds independent comic creation where we uh if you where we all support each other but you got to get past that threshold to get greater awareness. that's why kickstarter is so popular and i think zoop's doing a great job developing more awareness but kickstarter particularly just has that audience man and that makes a difference too but yeah i i feel, I feel you've hit all the right no, it's the timing is weird, but it, by all merits, though, this thing should be a success. The art, I as I said, this as a writer, the art is phenomenal. <laughs> it's just such a beautiful book. Brent, yeah. I wonder if you could tell us about the story because you said the story that you had and it came to you super easy. Is that something that normally happens for you? Is this something that, like, as soon as you had it, you knew oh, the story? Was well, it in the Trader you... Joe's parking lot, Brent? Sorry to cut it's you off. Cracker Barrel. It's a right? Cracker Barrel parking lot. It's a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> For what it's worth, it's dialogue free. I, I like doing that sometimes, but it's uh it's sold entirely through the art, which I did for Often into the Sunset as well, uh, with uh Leanna Kangas and Skylar Patridge. And unfortunately that one didn't materialize, but I did push it out there along with all the other participants. Uh but no, yeah, I, I just cranked it out. Fell will tell you yes. You know, Fell will just say, Oh, Brent just oh, there's a script the next minute. Uh it depends whether or not I'm inspired, I guess. And if it, for science fiction and romance, I was inspired. And I think it's great. And I, I, I could speak to it, but yeah, it's a dialogue-free story um, called Space and Time. And I I, I wanted to lean into the the, the kind of... So there's a triple allegory at play with the title uh, relative to both the anthology itself as well as what's happening within it. But it's a love story uh, stretched over a great deal of distance and a great deal of time, depending on how you observe the laws of physics. I love it. And then I, I want to ask you both about your general experience in crowdfunding, because it seems like you both have a, a decent amount of experience doing this. Um, Brent, have you crowdfunded projects before? Yes. I guess Extra Pages Press has crowdfunded two uh, Kickstarters, and I wanted to make sure I got my numbers right, so I brought them up. Uh, the Color of Always, which again is coming out under a Wave Blue World now under a new layout and uh, table of contents, and uh, uh, is in uh, just before just before Pride is I think originally though it was thirty nine thousand ninety two out of a goal of twenty one thousand with some hundred and thirty five backers, and that was about two years ago now. Or it looks feels like it, and then this past year was uh, well they kind of funded they kind of they were both last year but we started the previous winter and then uh the second one sharp wit in the company of women which is sword ladies uh 
anthology. And again, only queer creators. Uh, Color of Always, we had one or two exceptions if you were related or wanted to tell a story along the lines, but this is entirely LGBTQI plus identifying creators. We didn't card anybody, of course, but that was one of the motifs. Uh, $31,200 out of $27,000 goal for 744 backers. And uh, what we did with those was a full court press effort. We hit podcasts. We mobilized our troops uh, and we evangel well, evangelize for lack of a better, I, I tend to use that word. I, I don't want to use it. It's, it has a lot of connotations and baggage to it, but I use it. I went out there and just really hit the pavement on the first book. And my co my co-creator, Michelle really took the mantle on the second book. Uh, but, but, and, but speaking holistically to the design, the, the book itself, it would not be here without Michelle as well. We were co-directors of this entire endeavor. And on top of it, I'm more of a glorified pitch person. Uh, I'm really good at doing this. And uh, we used to joke that Michelle from HR, Michelle from accounting, Michelle from fulfillment, Michelle from mail and Michelle from corporate and Michelle from legal uh, took care of the rest. And that's no different with the second one either. So if, I mean, I, Michelle is a large part of why this happened, but yeah, it, it's a large, large uh, endeavor, especially if you end up crowdfunding at first. And talk about a good looking anthology. Like it just, it hits you like a ton of bricks that, that image that they have on there. I remember I, I backed that day one. Cause I was like, Holy hell, this is a good looking anthology. And I was a little mad at brent even because it was like we have amongst the stars coming out and you're yeah. thinking our best anthology award right out from underneath us but thankfully it's been like yeah. you know we're yeah. not coming out for a year oh god i know the cover it's it's amazing my, my, and, my, our two the low tech cover is that what you're talking about that cover yeah yeah it's just absolutely <laughs> stunning um but uh of course i was i was teasing about best anthology but it is yeah. a very good looking uh comic i i would i would be happy if either one of us got nominated <laughs> oh same uh i i i i really hope that the color of always does get a little bit of buzz at least at least on the bookshelf um because there's a lot of deserving people in that um and you know what's really great about the color of always is i mean i mean i i won't say i'm first i can't prove that and i don't know but i'm one of the first to have uh gotten um ink on parchment for laura helsby and because uh, Laura, Laura's was a was a color of always uh, creator, great and, art, uh, and, and and now Laura's is everywhere. So <laughs> I'm pretty excited. But but we have a lot of artists like that. I'm there's um there's going to be artists for SWAT Cow Sharp Wit that are going to blow the doors off for y'all. I'm telling you right now. Uh, can't wait. It's uh what a great looking anthology. And just to dovetail on that really quick, it's it talking about how creators. Uh, over the course of time after maybe they're in a book, like you see their careers start to go off in this, uh, you know, upward trajectory. We're seeing that with Amongst the Stars even. it's It's been a year since we did the whole um, open submission and now we're in the crowdfunding stage. And in that time, you've just seen a number of people just really take off in different ways. During that time, yeah. Carol Lee Lane was doing Money Shot already and has done a number of great covers for Vault. Tango working with Kevin Smith uh, for Quick Stops at Dark Horse. So you're seeing all these people, of course, fell with Commander Rao and then Brent. Yeah. The list really goes on and on. It's really fascinating to see. And I'm like, oh, wow, even without getting this out in the open, it just shows how great these people are. They're all getting 
like all these other jobs like it, it was just really cool to see and i'm i'm really proud of that because they're all really good people as well yeah it uh it was amazing to be able to work with such talented folks on both ends and then you know and you uh i think i was one of the one of the pleasures i had to do too was to have uh i got to work with uh val halverson for prince philip sevy um skylar did a print for us and of course my cover and my intro, I have like a two page intro, like mission statement story. That's literally based on the poem that inspired the title color of always um, done uh, by Elisa Romboli, uh, mm-hmm. who, who also did our second cover for the away of the world variant. Uh, but, uh, and, and I believe she's well on her way into Kurt, uh, into finishing the least of the least we can do. And, and um, on top of it, I, I uh, uh, Michelle Abinader and I both, were helping helped Elisa and her partner Ayolanda just recently successfully fund a thing called Truth Volume Two, Drive Home on Kickstarter because they couldn't finish the arc at Image, and uh, and that was a huge get as well to kind of be able to help them with that. But being able to work with artists and creators that I admire and respect so often as part of this process has been rewarding in and of itself. So. CJ, you touched on this about the important about how many people get their start or, or sort of this is a launching point for them. So for aspiring artists out there who want to get into this and want to find these opportunities, where do you find them? You know, for a, you. yeah, yeah, it's kind of for a while there, there was someone and I think they've stopped doing it because they were busy. And I can't remember what it was, but somebody was posting open anthology submissions. They were aggregating all this stuff and posting them, but they could no longer do it, but it was really helpful. And that was one thing that I saw. And then a lot of it too, is just like retweets and, um, you know, you hot King doing a search for anthologies and doing some searching online. It's not as easy as you think though. Like I typically stumble across them and I'm like, Oh, that'd be fun. I, I'm going to do that if time allows. Um, anthologies are a good way to cut your teeth. I feel like, cause it's, you can find oh, something typically to team up with, um, depending on what the prompt is, it's a good way to challenge yourself. Um, so, and, and, and they're really fun, like, and they're low impact too, into where you're not building this huge world. Typically it's like four to 10 pages somewhere in that realm. So the time commitment's low it's, and it teaches you, I feel like to take rejection as well, because the chances of getting into an anthology, like, you know, your chance of getting into amongst the stars was like 10%, basically, right? So, and and that was, I've seen heard of anthologies having 200, 300 submissions sometimes. So, like, they're very challenging. Chances are you won't get in. It's important to understand that you're not always going to win. And, but one thing we did with amongst the stars is we, I told everyone that submitted, if you want feedback and you didn't get in, I'm going to do that for you because I feel it's important to provide that feedback. A lot of times publishers are so busy, they can't do it. I totally understand. But as the curator, it's very, I take this very personally that I want this to be a good experience for everyone. I will, I personally provided feedback and told everyone I would literally only about five people took me up on it. I was willing to do everyone, but I admired them for asking what they could have done better. And ultimately a lot of the things were pretty minor. It's like, you know, you gave me the history of the world in your pitch. Like all I need is like a log line of two sentences and then give me, give me the 
the story like in a hamburger format. This is the way I like it and just tell it to me. I don't need every nitty gritty detail, but you got to give me like the hooks and all that stuff. And I tried to tried to steer them in an appropriate direction. Um, but it. Yeah, it's. What was the question again? I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, I, I, do all... that, I, I do that too. I do that too. <laughs> it's all good stuff. It was just where you find these opportunities. Which yeah, you yeah. It, it's, yeah. Yeah, very, yeah, it's hard, man. It It's really hard. Typically, friends will tell you too, is the other thing that I've noticed that a lot of people that submit will ping you and be like, hey, or it, we have a lot of friends that run them together. Like Travis Gibb is a great guy. He runs Oh, it, yeah. And he might say, hey, dude, um, do you want to be a part of this? Or did you hear that there's an open submission? And so there's a lot of that in the community too. A lot of people that genuinely want to help you and see you succeed. Um, and that's what I really like about the community that we fostered is that there's not a lot of ego. There's a lot of really nice people that just want to help where they can. In my experience, I'm sure some some people are assholes, but I haven't met a whole lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know I would agree, and um, I I mean one of the I, I like to think that I had a little bit of an advantage. I was writing poetry for about a decade before I started doing this. I wrote short, and my poetry is like I write poetry, short fiction, like prose in one block. I capture a moment or a scene, and all I had to do was just take that idea and then blow it out, and I was able. And comics adapted pretty. It's like poetry with a poetry with a plot i guess uh yeah and 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 and, and i adjusted accordingly uh, but for people one of the things i really enjoy as i do this is that i get to see people like me but i'm 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 40 you know i put, and so i got into this late the people that lifted me up are 10 years younger than me on average and i am very cognizant of that and i'm very trying to be very respectful of that um i it was the ensuing generation that found me and dusted me off and said hey you're not so bad uh, and so when I do this now, I'm seeing even younger people uh, who are coming in, artists and writers, and uh, and they may not have had that, you know, indoctrination into writing and being able to just sort of stumble and fall and figure out what works like I did. And so giving that kind of feedback and meeting those kind of newer generations of creators is also rewarding because what we found is when you put the call out, you get deluged. And there's the bots thing. We can make the joke about the bots. That always happens. But like for actual people, um, you get you run the gambit from somebody who's been doing this for like and you run into that artist who just like has been doing it for you know 20 years and and they come out with well this is my art i guess it's okay and it's like a masterpiece and then you get i love those people <laughs> and i love the guy who's like 18 years old coming out of out of high school going right into art school and they're not quite there to find their voice and sometimes they have that unique look and you know what you want to throw them a bone i don't know but it's but it's usually just a public call out that's how I, that's how we found most of our folks Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure we have a few questions in the Q&A that I want to make sure we get to. Sure. Uh, first one, question to Brent. How did you first meet Doug and Fell? They're both such great ambassadors to helping everyone feel so welcome in the community. And I'm curious to know how those meetings came about. Um, well, well, Doug is because of Fell. And I met Fellhound because of Captain Marvel. Again, Harold. Uh I was the Carol collector before I was anything else. When I first started flipping my online presence with the green light, um, you know, it's like here, you know, there she is. <laughs> How do I get this going? It's like all kinds of stuff. So she's all, it's all over there. She is. But yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the, I, uh, I did Fellhound's like, oh, I like Marvel too. And we started hanging out and talking about comics. 
And she knew me for about a half a year to a year. And then I said, you know, I write too. And I just did this comic school thing. Do you want to see the story that I wrote? And she's like, that's really good. We should submit it. And so I polished it up a little bit. And by the way, I wrote that story like with a COVID fever raging through my system. I was so hellbound and determined to get into a book and to, to get into anything because that veneer between having people talk about, oh, did you make it? Are you making comics? Okay, whatever. But anyway, getting into comics, just being able to make anything, have someone else read what you wrote, that wall is like you're either on one side of it or the other. And I don't care how easy or hard it is to cross it. It's random and weird. And by God, there was a door in front of me and I was walking through it. And so I, and I, I was like, okay, I think this sounds good. Popping like Tylenol. And, uh, and I gave it to Fel and Fel gave it to Doug and Doug said, Hey, you know what? Let's do this. And so I got into the big hype. And um, from that moment forward, Doug was a good friend and I pre-ordered Ultramax on day one and everything else he ever tried to you know to work on and do and i was a huge supporter and i joined the phoenix collective the minute he thought it up and i and i will i'll defend the phoenix collective to till the day i die because he helped build it but yeah that's how i met both of them and then we have a two-part question here uh I'll, I'll toss up to both of you cj i'll start with you so uh with the way the landscape has shifted in the last two years avenues have shrank for funding word of mouth as independent comic creators surrounded by the amoeba of mystery, growing past it and gaining followers and traction in a more main sense seems difficult. Are there any surprises in the campaigns lately from certain crowds that you don't that you didn't expect to come through and back a project? I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I I feel like most everything that I thought would get funded, got funded. I mean, the only thing was hairology that took a little bit longer uh, than expected. And it could be of a variety of, of factors associated with that. Um, I think I'm most surprised that Erotica does so well on Kickstarter, but I was yeah, joking on, on another uh, show about that. And, and the host was like, well, yeah, who would have thought that you know, nudity would do well on the internet. And I was like, I know, it's just so interesting that it does so well. And some of it can actually be very good. Like, um, and like Pat Chan's work, I'm a big fan of his. I I think he's he's done it in such a way where it kind of speaks to like the old school, like Eros um, publications yeah. and like Euro erotica. I think he's he's found a way to make it really good. Um, but there's a lot of it out there. Like everything that seems to have a little TNA seems to do okay. <laughs> so I don't know. Brent, do you have anything your to thoughts, add? Brent, you're think you're you're no. percolating on something. Yeah, I was thinking about how to look at everything, making sure I got the right thing. Yeah, um, I think you're right about Chan and Chan. I have in the same school as like Moore with Strangers in Paradise. That kind mm -hmm. of pseudo sapphic you know, feminine, you know, draws and that's on that one side of the pinup culture, which is a completely different audience from yep. this kind of like the masculine gaze pinup culture. Um, but you know what I think is that I I know it didn't it didn't materialize fully for amongst the stars yet. But if I was to cherry pick, if I was to say more speaking more holistically, it's not any one group, it's the fact that we congeal at all. When I became out when I became a Captain Marvel fan. And when I came out as non-binary, really, uh, it both desperate yet intangibly connected things. Um, the, first, the two groups came to my came to my route my, my, to support me. One 
was comic people. And two was a subset of comic people from a specific genre. I think it was like the MCU folks and nerds and all and geeks and all kinds. And there's something about us that we put everything aside when it comes to storytelling. I think uh, if you put out a story that has enough draw, that appeals to a general enough audience that has romance and action and adventure and a, and a handsome lead and a beautiful woman and, and, or, or some, you know, queer character that really has this charismatic oomph behind who they are. It doesn't matter. The politics go out the window aside from comics gigs stuff. Uh, Pit up people will support your book. Adventure people will support your book. People who would, you know, comics is, is, is colorblind is if it's a, if it's a good story for the most part. So my my observation is not any one group. It's the fact that all of us, or at least pieces of us, will all come together from all parts of the whole to support something that's worthy of being read or made. That's exactly right. If it's and that's kind of goes back to what I said in the beginning. If it's good, like me, kind of being the every fan, as I said, I'll pick random things off the shelf if they look good. I don't really care what the genre is. If it looks good, I'm probably gonna pick it up or back it because I love comics and that goes for i mean i backed pat chan's book i i backed sharp wit i mean i'm all over the board but the one commonality amongst those things is they all look really really good um even aside from the concepts like i'm just looking at the art like with sharp wit and i was just mesmerized by it and i thought that pat's uh work always plays really well with that too. It's visually captivating. And the same with Charlie Stickney uh, with White Ash. It's the same kind of deal where Brett and I were talking about this previously where (laughs) it appeals to this wide variety of people. Everybody kind of gets fed to use your words, Brent. I thought that was absolutely appropriate. All these comic fans that are in these kind of different categories of of pinup or they like fantasy, they're all kind of getting what they want out of it and not only is he a good storyteller i feel like he's a good marketer too he he knows how to sell comics um Char- uh, charles had a as is a, is a marketing genius and i think it comes from past experience uh, uh and also from just a good wit to him but yeah um it's got and by the way and I, I, I don't get I, I understand i mean i can't you can't be a carol danvers fan without befriending the pinup culture she was an icon of it until they gave her enough clothes to wear. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, and, but, 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 but like there's different types of pinup culture too. And I love all of them actually. Uh, I love the ones that love a, a scantily clad woman that could kick your ass. That's my favorite kind because it's a blending of several different things, but speaking entirely to it, they're actually really supportive uh, as a group of comics generally, as long as you're respectful to the fact that they love collecting posters and comics with girls in suits on them. As long as you're cool with that, you have a best friend for life. You know, that kind of Frank Trillian universe out there is part of, of everything, you know, they're, they're, they're good people, but, um, but yeah, no, you're right. Everyone gets fed with Chuck stuff. It's pinups fantasy, really well-written story. Actually, the back lore is actually really great. Uh, mm-hmm. Both Ash as well as Glarian in, 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 in general, I'm more of a Glarian person in terms of specificity, but there's a, there's a, there's just, it's just fun. God damn it. You want, you want to support that thing. Like they got trinkets and gizmos coming out your ears. They got exclusive covers. I, I, I got, uh, I forked over an arm and a leg because I'm, first off I collect anything Leanna Kangas. 
And on top of it, they had a Leonard King's foil cover signed by everybody. Oh my God, I was doomed. But um, <laughs> so it's it's a it's a marketing it's a marketing genius, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Um, yeah, and you know, um, amongst the stars, I just well, what was the second part of that question that it was especially when lagging mm-hmm. behind other backers that are not from the usual spots that you did try to figure out and where they came from. You know, <clears throat> that's a good question. And I I don't know that we have the data really to draw on that. It's kind of like Brent said, where it's like, you're getting that first wave of support largely from your creative friends and them pushing it out uh to hopefully their fan base a little bit and then you have to get beyond that tier of like that first level of friends family and maybe some of the the fans of of people of uh of the people who are helping you push it out and it has to get into that bigger atmosphere and we're struggling with getting it out into that bigger atmosphere for some reason and i think it's kind of the factors that i mention i don't know where the the backers are really coming from but it truly is is that we're not we're not reaching enough people for some reason and it's not it's not without trying i've been on you know this is my sixth stream or podcast that i've done over the last month so trying i was doing at least one a week um we're tweeting every day going on Instagram, we did a campaign boost on there um, to try to steer people that are outside of our sphere just to get some marketing and get them to click on it. And hopefully people click on it and say, oh, wow, this looks good. Um, But there's a whole bunch of factors that go along with that, too. Like sometimes people have to see things, what is it, two, two, three times before they'll actually even click on the thing. So I don't know that the money we put into that um, yielded all the results. We did see that through Instagram that we did get some backers who clicked on it from it. So we made the money back that we put into it, but we probably needed to gamble a little bit more to try to get more people. Do we see the return? Who knows? Like it's, it's really this weird space with marketing. And I truly felt that we had enough big name talent on the book that we just, that we would be okay. And it's not putting it on them. Like they're trying and everything, but I just felt like this is going to be easy. We've got all these great people (laughs) like this. Everybody loves these people, but it's, it wasn't that it's just, there's so many different factors in play. It's not for the lack of talent on the book. It's just, it's the timing. It's, it's the, the marketing that's attributed to Twitter. I feel like right now, and just some, some things and it just shows that it doesn't matter if you have 10,000 followers. It really doesn't. I was kind of, we were kind of banking on some of these numbers. Like some people have three, four or five. I, I have 1500. I got nobody. I'm like the least popular person in this anthology. <laughs> and, and it just, it just wasn't there for some reason. And I don't know, Brent, what, what do you think? I got a, uh, Ben, uh, you know, has, has been great. Uh, uh, he's, he just put on another tweet about uh oh o'grady yeah uh and no who, oh uh, he meant oh yeah 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 i was thinking Manic, of, yeah. uh, scott snyder's uh yeah ben o'grady helped us with that but yeah ben he meant great 23 retweets three thousand views on the tweet like we're spinning our wheels in our own circle a little bit maybe uh, i i don't really know for sure but like by all yeah. rights and measures this, this thing should have been funded by now like every single like you you got really cool tie-ins 
you've got tchotchkes, you've got famous people pushing along the side. Uh, I, I, I don't know what the, I, I don't know what the bullet is. It's a, it's a multitude of things because every, hitting every single milestone shouldn't have been this Sisyphean effort. Something is just not dialed in. Right. And I bet if I even bet if we rebooted this and did it again, you would get a different result. I don't know if it was timing. I don't know if it was circumstance. I don't know if it was one out, but like everything is there to make the pie. I don't know why we don't have a pie. Yeah. And, and I will say this, I told everyone yesterday, this is getting made. I'm in active conversations with band of bards. We're just going to go out the door with a different strategy. And we're talking about what that looks like, but we're not done regardless. Like I I've, I've put too much effort into this. Brent has, everyone has on the team. Everybody wants to see this get made. We're just going to have to go about it um, in a different way, maybe starting with the direct market first um, and figuring out how we go from there and maybe adding in relaunching again and putting in a few new covers, like just to give it a little bit of a facelift, even though I think the covers we have are phenomenal sometimes if you relaunch again you add one new thing in people are like holy shit this is i why didn't i see this before you know this is amazing look at all these covers and it's just one thing that maybe is different that you can start to get a little traction with but um rest assured it's going to get out there like i i will focus all my time i even told like told band of bards i don't care what we got to do i will put aside my other projects for now if we have to focus on this like i will work nights i i will get <laughs> this done like we have to do this because it's too important to me and it's i definitely don't want to disappoint any of the creators that have put all their hard work into this because they they've done a phenomenal job that that's a very very good note to end on cj so thank you thank you for that and to both of you, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can still, Noel, drop the link in the chat, the Amongst the Stars Kickstarter. There's still time to back it. Go back it. Um, and CJ, Brent, thank you both for being here today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And to all of our listeners, we'll be back here in two weeks. We'll see you then.